Hello and welcome to the Cultural Peeps podcast. My name is Ian Wielden and I'm a lecturer in the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. This series is part of an ongoing project which explores different career pathways across the museum, gallery, heritage and wider cultural sectors. I really want this series to do three things. The first is to help early career professionals understand the huge range of ever-changing job profiles that now exist. The second aim is to help those professionals interpret job titles in the context of different venues and organisations. Sometimes jobs with the same title can be radically different depending on the organisation. The third aim is to help listeners understand that the people that make up any field of work are all human and that in turn plays a significant part in their unfolding career pathway and decision-making processes. A few caveats. The recordings that form the basis for the podcasts aren't technically perfect. They're often grabbed in busy offices and in between meetings, so you can frequently hear the everyday world of work whirring on in the background. Just a final note, these podcasts are edited down from longer conversations, but I've tried to keep in as much of the original content as possible. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guests, Eleanor Johnson and Pearl Saddington, both currently work at Hilton Castle in Sunderland. Eleanor is the learning manager there and Pearl is the learning officer. Hilton Castle was originally constructed in the 14th century and is currently undergoing a four and a half million pound heritage funded restoration project to return both the gatehouse and the surrounding grounds to the centre of community life as a cultural heritage, education and visitor centre. The site plans to help provide training for young people, a range of volunteering opportunities and will also have events, outreach and education programmes. I went out to see the site partway through its restoration in late 2018 when the new floors had just been constructed and had a fabulous day out there looking at the site and hearing all about their new plans. It's a fantastically ambitious and interesting project so keep an eye open for that when it reopens later in the year. The format for this recording is a little bit different from the first nine episodes in the series. I was interested to see how a broader discussion and comparison of routes into the heritage sector might work. So I recorded Pearl and Eleanor together. So do let me know if you think I should do more of these multi-guest episodes. Eleanor's background and interest was initially in history, which she started studying at university. And following the introduction of an archaeology module partway through her course, she chose to switch degrees to focus on this new area of interest. After graduation, she worked as an English heritage trainee at Whitby Abbey, working on the Anglo-Saxon cemetery, before going on to work on a number of commercial archaeological sites. She then took a bit of a sideways step to undertake a funded course in environmental management, mainly to break a cycle of doing something that she wasn't really sure about career-wise. She then took up a role at the heritage site Creswell Crags, with the fantastic title of Principal Ranger, before moving back to the northeast to work initially for Northumberland National Parks and then as an education and engagement coordinator at the North of England Civic Trust. 
Pearl has a slightly different route into the sector, so having returned to further and higher education as a mature student, studying first history and then undertaking a heritage education and interpretation MA, she became interested in roles which looked at elements of co-curation and co-production, working closely with volunteers and local communities. Pearl has worked with a range of venues and projects including Tynemouth Priory, which is a spectacular English heritage site overlooking the mouth of the Tyne River, Beads World, now Jarrow Hall and also at the Old Lowlight in North Shields. In today's episode a number of interesting themes emerge. We talk about the importance of finding roles and venues that motivate you and fit your personal ethos, so finding somewhere to work that you really can believe in. And we also talk about how, for some people, it's important to be able to make a role your own. So being able to identify structures and organisations where you can both respond to your audiences and build a programme alongside your own role. Something which is often a characteristic of and a lot easier in smaller, more flexible or newer organisations. Pearl advises not boxing yourself in and giving yourself the options and freedom to move between roles within an organisation. One technique for this is by expanding your skill set through engagement with activities outside of your immediate job description. As ever, networking emerges as a principal theme and how opportunities often arise through contacts that we know from within our own sectors. A quick note on the recording, this conversation was recorded on campus in Newcastle University during term time, so we are interrupted a couple of times by different visitors and students coming and going. So I faded the conversation in and out when that happens to keep the flow going. I've put links to as many of the organisations and projects that we cover in the podcast description. So if there's anything that you'd like to look up, then that's a good starting point. Don't forget that you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle at Cultural Peeps. And if you want more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there is a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. That's it from me for now. I hope you enjoy the episode and I hope you find it useful. So thank you for joining me today. If you could just start off by introducing yourselves and saying a little bit about what your current role entails, so where you work and and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Okay, um, so I'm Eleanor Johnson and I am the learning manager for the Hilton Castle Project, which is a heritage lottery funded project in Sunderland to transform a grade one listed 14th century castle into a new building. Um, It's going to have kind of a community-led, heritage-led venue inside the building. Um, And my role within that is to um, manage the learning activities, but that's like the widest sense of learning activities. So it's all the people stuff. Um, So that's schools, it's traineeships, it's work placements, um, it's adult learning, it's family learning. 
um, its engagement, um, and that's both kind of within the built heritage side of things, um, social history side of things, um, but also um, the castle sits in a green urban space, so it's the natural heritage side of things, so it's a little bit of everything. Um, and my role is kind of developing that side of things, finding funding for it, coming up with projects, and doing the delivery of it, managing volunteers, training volunteers to help with the delivery. Um, so it's a little bit of everything, everything. really. A little bit everything. of everything, yeah. Everything. Okay. Um, and I'm Pearl Sallington, and my current role is the learning officer yep. at the Hilton Castle <laughs> Project. So I work alongside Eleanor. Eleanor's explained what she does, and I'm there in a supportive role. My background is slightly different to Eleanor's, which you'll all find out. So I come to it with a kind of a different head on, but complementing. Eleanor's skills, because she's got loads of um, skills in built heritage. She comes from an archaeology background. I come from a history background. Um, Eleanor's more heritage, um, heritage slash museums. So it's a... um, it's a dream team, really. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that's crucial, I think, with our jobs at the minute and the fact that we do do a bit of everything is that the project team to deliver the Hilton Castle project, it's a £4.5 million lottery project, so it's massive, um, including a big chunk of capital works, and there's only three of us in the right, team. Yeah. So there's a director, there's me, there's Pearl, and then we've got a part-time volunteer coordinator. So it's a tiny team. Yeah. So as a result we do absolutely everything. Yeah. And that might be, you know, shifting chairs and tables for an event, or it's going to a monitoring, monitoring meeting um, to talk about budgets for the project and everything in between. So. Well, what did you think that you wanted to be when you were, say, 10? Do you know what? I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I never knew what I wanted to be, but I wanted to be outside. So I, from being little, I liked being outside and doing things. Um, and I come from a family of educating and teaching people so right. my entire background is about teaching and my siblings are teachers and I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do so I think I've got that kind of <laughs> outside thing don't want to work in a school but I love getting people thinking about things and seeing people learn stuff so I think that's kind of how I ended up kind of coming down this route right. um, I mean I started off as an, on a history degree and hated it absolutely hated it and within a semester realized that archaeology would be a way to kind of connect with the past but actually be outside and be physically doing... So you started stuff. on So history. I started on history, yeah, I didn't so, start on So did you arrive at that process, did you arrive at that degree just by kind of kaplunking or, you know, falling into, uh, totally. following things that you were vaguely interested in? Yeah. Were you avoiding certain subjects at that point? That's a good question. I don't think so. I think, and I think it's reflected in what I do now, I've always been one of those people who's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. Like, I'm quite interested in lots of things. I, you know, yeah, like to be outside, love to read, love stuff about the past, like lots and lots of things. So I wasn't really ever quite sure what what I wanted wanted to do do. um, long-term. So, yeah, kind of, I think history was a bit of an accident, really. It was like university was kind of the obvious thing. I moved a long way from home, wanted to move out, um that will do kind of thing. It was almost the place. I chose Newcastle no. before I chose what subject I wanted to do. So where were you, whereabouts are you from? Originally? I grew up in Leicestershire. Right, okay. So, yeah. And, and once you'd started that history degree, was that a kind of, you know, were you just moved, like it wasn't a case of, well, I don't like this, I'm going to go home. Was it a case of, I'm going to find something. <laughs> I'm going to find something. Absolutely. I was yeah. like, I love this city. Yeah. I've got good yeah. friends. Right. Yeah, I really so the like experience, it. So the experience. Like that journey, of the experience was the thing that was motivating. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it was, yeah, all history. It's one really archaeology module. Oh, hang on a minute this is actually the thing I'm good at. Um, this makes more sense yeah. to me. So swapped courses. Yeah. 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 
Well, when so, I was 10, would you believe it? I wanted to be an air hostess. Did you? I did, yeah. <laughs> I never and, knew that. Yeah. Can, you, can you remember why? Was there like something that... I just, because I think I just wanted to be a bit like Ellen. I wanted to be away from home. Right. Um, so you can tell from my accent, I'm quite local. I was brought up in South Shields. And I can remember we used to get the double-decker bus and I used to practice walking up and down the double-decker <laughs> bus. Oh, brilliant. Pretending it was and a plane. Here, yeah, exactly. I've never been on a plane. I love the idea. You, you wanted to be something. You'd never been on a plane, but you wanted to be an air host. That's yeah. like a proper think, dream, isn't it? It is, it? Yeah. it is. And I think it was the glamour, probably the glamour of it. You know, doing something that nobody in my family had ever done before. I mean, Eleanor said she knew what she didn't want to do. Yeah. I mean, my... You know, my dad worked, he was an engineer in the shipyard, so... And sometimes, because I was really good at maths, but, you know, I went through the grammar school system, so I went to a, a secondary modern where you were actually... This is the job you're going to do when yeah. you leave. Yeah. And museums or anything, um, you know, unless you went to a grammar school, you didn't even think about, uh, you know, going on and doing anything further. If you were clever... It was like, oh, you'll get a job at the ministry, which is now HMRC. Yeah. yeah. And boys were, um, you know, it was either shipyards or the mines, or if you knew somebody, it was the railways. And I knew I didn't want to be in that. I just, I just knew I didn't want to be in that kind of put in that band. Yeah. Um, but as a, as kids, our treats were taken to um, things like Bowes Museum and Barnard Castle, and I learned more from my dad and my mum being interested in history, like, you know, look at that dress and look at these little shoes than I ever learned in a classroom. Yeah. And I suppose that's, that's really always that's been... That's then, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're kind of actively trying to avoid a career path or, you know, a vocation which you can see potentially being mapped out no. for you through that education system and through family history, but then their own interest in culture and heritage is the thing that ignites your interest. So you... Yeah. Is there a moment where you started to be pulled away from the air hostess? When you did, you stop walking. Yeah, I couldn't speak any foreign languages because <laughs> then you had to speak yeah, a foreign did, yeah, language. Yeah. Um, and then you see, I came into this game quite late. I, I had a, a number of jobs. I used to work in a travel agents. Um, I used to work for the co-op bank. You know, like all office kind of jobs. Then I did my A levels when my kids were little babies. So it was when the community schools initiative came out right. and you would go and you would sit and do A-levels with the students. And then I knew I was going to go to university, but funnily enough, it was kind of business. I thought, I'm going to do business studies at Northumbria. Right. Um, and, you know, because you thought, oh, business studies, I'll get a job. And I, I just wanted to do it. And then my A-level grades were kind of quite good. Um, and then I thought, no, I'm going to go to Newcastle. And I studied history. I did an A-level in history and sociology and English. And that was it. That was, that was the, the, the switch on for me because at school it was, I'd gone down the geography route, a bit like Eleanor. It was, you know, I'd done all about outdoors and, and landscapes and rivers and stuff like that. I didn't want anything to do with, with the formal history. Yeah. So I did an A-level history, came to Newcastle Uni, um, kind of excelled really as a mature student. And then it was when I was, because at the end I was going to go, I was going to do a degree and that was it. Didn't matter. I wasn't going so to. You work were doing it for the for the learning for the, for the sake for of learning. Learning for the sake yeah. of it. Um, 
because we, we've jumped several years and I've left South Shields, right? So now we're, I'm, now, I'm now living in a different place. <laughs> different world. Different world, different world. Moved away. Um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice when, you know, when I'm kind of doing homework and it would encourage the kids to do homework? It never did. Right. You know what I mean? It, was like, <laughs> it doesn't work like it that. It doesn't work like that. Wait until they come to bed and then yeah. start. Yeah. Um, and that was while I was doing the history, it was like, I felt, as a mature student, being so privileged to be at university. Right. Really privileged. Um, you know, I'm being taught by these people that are experts in the field. Um, I'm surrounded by people that want to learn. I'm, I'm surrounded by books. And there's, there's so much I don't know that I want to know. And then when I learned it, I was such a bore. Because, like, you know what I mean? Like, we'd go out for the pub and they'd go, I do not want to hear about coffee houses. Do you know what I mean? And I would be, like, having conversations with, like, like Dave's mates about the English Civil War. And I thought, this is more... This, this, in, this is passion. more... This is a passion. Yeah. I need to tell people about what I've learned. Yeah. You know, so don't sit next to me on the metro. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, was very, yeah. I was very friendly with... Uh, I became very friendly with a young girl, Kylie Little, who's gone on to do great things at the Tyne Weir Museums. And we, we went to a, a... You know, when your degrees come to an end, an MA thing, conference thing at and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. At the time, I was working part-time for Virgin Hour Price Music. Right. You know, and again, what it was, was I was working in a, in a sector with people that loved doing what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. Which was brilliant. So everybody loved working. I mean, the job was crap and at Christmas. Yeah, but you if know, you love music... But if you love music, what be, better place? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And here's me, like, this mature person work with all these young people. And I thought, I don't want to work somewhere you know, where I'm working with people that don't like what they're doing. So the, there is a pattern there, I think. So you're, you're working in an environment where you're wanting to share your knowledge mm -hmm. with somebody. That's happening at Virgin yeah. Albrice. That's mm -hmm. what you're talking about with the degree. Yeah, so and it was did, trying to marry the two. Were you, yeah. were you identifying that at that point, or had you identified that earlier and then you're thinking, you know, how do I expand this into well, something that I feel really passionately about? Yeah, and then the, uh, Kylie told us about the MA. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher, but like Eleanor, I didn't want that classroom scenario um, because I was kind of disgruntled with you're either really bright, in which case you're going to get everything, you just sit there, yeah. you get the chum gum put in your hair, you get, you know what I mean, you get the ruler off the, off the back of your head. You want to do well, you're not encouraged to do well, and you just plod on. And I thought, I can't put myself into that kind of environment. And I did try. I mean, I did work in schools for right. a year. And I thought, oh, no. Nah. And it wasn't the kids. I loved the kids. It was the, the system, the system, the system yeah. and the other yeah. teachers. Like, half past three, fuff. Out. So is this about pursuing something where you can set your own rules? Yeah, I do that. Like, everybody <laughs> knows I do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, how did that, that then manifest itself, that visit and that, those conversations that you had with Kylie? Well, Kylie had already gone off and she was volunteering at Discovery Museum. I didn't quite want to do that corporate museum thing yeah. and I had been at Wildstate University uh, the Anglo-Saxon period kind of ignited 
my interest because what I found out in history was I was interested in the turning points in history where yeah, where there's things where, where things change, yeah, where things change. massively yeah. change, but it could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. know, and and like sort of milestones, turning points, and I thought, oh, this is fascinating. And even when I was say studying English Civil War. You know, everybody knows what happens in the English Civil War, but you're reading and you've got these documents and you're thinking, it doesn't have to be like how I know it ended. It doesn't have yeah, to be they like that. There could have been it, a different been, decision. Yeah. You know, and I remember thinking, way. oh, for God's sake, Charles, do not do that. Do not go into Parliament. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do not go into <laughs> Parliament. I'm sure retrospectively he was thinking that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, later me, it's like, oh, please don't do that. It's like those books you get where, you know, where you get to choose and it's a Choose your adventure. Yeah, choose your yeah. adventure, go mm -hmm. to page whatever, and you just think there's a million different endings. And why is it that that was the one that, that happened because yeah. Yeah. of these all mm. these decisions came together at one point and that was your end point, yeah. isn't it? It's exactly like that. And then then the there was a museum called Beads World. So I got in touch with them. In fact I replied for a job first, um, without any without the MA qualification and I just didn't get an interview. But then I went back and did what most of us have done and I volunteered. Right. Yeah. Um I did hadn't had no preconceptions, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I just went in, I didn't know if it was going to be was front of house. A beads world. A beads world. Right. Uh, and I went into the education department and started volunteering so then. Did you apply for a job and then they offered you some no, voluntary no. work or did you, you just no, didn't get I it just, and then I just didn't even, didn't even get a reply. Right. And then Kylie told me she was doing the MA and I actually got on the MA on the Friday before the Monday had started. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ran in, seen Peter Stone yep. and said, oh, Peter, I've just done this degree. Um, and I've got really, I've got it, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a nugget. Um, can I do this? And he started laughing. I went, you let me on this course and I promise you'll not forget us. And he said, yeah, I, I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> Had I known when I was at uni that I was going to get a first, I would have applied to do, to go on and I would have taken a different path. Probably I would have gone down that. Do you know, because yeah. I had a gap between, mm -hmm. I went to uni and I think if I'd have known then, I would have that I was going to do well. I'd have gone. Oh, well, I'll carry on yeah. in education for a bit, yeah. but I didn't. So yeah. I went and worked yeah. for a bit and came back to post grad later. Yeah. So, so what did you go on to do? I graduated, did some like rubbish, you know, pay the bills work, which I hated for a bit, and then field archaeology. So I got a traineeship with English Heritage for three months okay. as an on-site archaeologist at Whitby Abbey. Which was brilliant. I loved right. it. Really loved That's it. That's pretty good. It, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. really. And I mean, face. if only that kind of scheme existed now. And it was amazing. It was three months working on um, the Anglo-Saxon cemetery yeah. um, before they built like right. a new kind of car park entrance bit. Um, and it was it was skeletons every day. So you know, I'd oh. gone from kind of like having done hardly any excavation work during my degree to here you go. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did that for three months and got... I think this is it. A lot of it turns on who you meet and who yeah. you become friendly with. And I became friendly with the girl who was there, who was doing the um, digital survey work and they were trying some quite experimental survey software and I really got on with her. So I did quite a lot with her during the traineeship. Um, so that kind of fed into what I did after. And after that, I did short-term contract work. Um, for English Heritage? For, no, for anybody and everybody. So I did like two more summers with English Heritage at Whitby, but as a... So kind of commercial archaeology there. Commercial archaeology, so I worked um, 
a lot of the northeast units and then some units down south as well. I just went where the work was, and it would be you know six weeks on this job. I did um, kind of desk-based assessment bits and bobs. Mm. I did um, excavations on sites in advance of development, in yeah, advance of mining, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, and I just kind of did went where the work was. Um, some of them I got to pick and choose, which was nice. So you know you get nice plum jobs come up. So. Um, they were good, um, but it was travelling around all the time. And then some of them, it was just literally standing by the side of a JCB while they dig a supermarket car park or whatever. Um, and that was quite hard work. Um, and I did a couple of jaunts abroad during that time. I went to um, Libya and worked in Libya for a bit with the university. And that was kind of, you got your board, but nothing else. Yeah. So it was fine while I was living that kind of existence of, uh, you know, Stupid. I rented a yeah, yeah. room in a flat in Fenham that costs peanuts yeah. um and sure i lived at home sometimes the time. <laughs> so, yeah, no it didn't it's like can i avoid it this month am i gonna have to go back to my mum's yeah. for a bit yeah. um but um and it was and it was yeah it was like you would just you go well i've got another week on this contract i better go to the pub on friday and see if there's anything yeah. else around um and through that did quite a lot of landscape stuff i guess the northeast up in you know there's northumberland and county durham there's a lot of well, there was then quite a lot of landscape projects around where I was doing survey work. Um, so that kind of fed into my interest in kind of landscape and place and how people connect with place. Um, so that's what I did. And then decided eventually, mm, the kind of, it was the short-term nature of it. You know, yeah. you just, I, I did four or five years of it and just kind of was like, mm, actually, I can't well, carry you, on like this. Were you so, trying, we. Was it like you were knocking on doors of potential careers there, trying to figure yeah, out? Yeah, I think I was trying know? to figure out what I was... I, I think the problem was, I would. it was kind of highs and lows in that period. So some of the work was brilliant and really enjoyable and, um, you know, really nice teams you were working with, interesting stuff you were doing, living in a holiday cottage in a nice place. Yeah. And then others of it was just awful and you'd be like, oh, God, I'm going to get up again and it's freezing cold and it's wet and yeah. there's no... I think I kind of realised there was a pattern, which was that a lot of the development stuff was just being done for the sake of it. Yeah. So you're almost trying to do a job that's essentially about research, but without any There's framework to put that in. With the commercial element totally at loggerheads with the commercial element, and they just want you to do it as quickly as possible. And it makes no sense why you're doing what you do where you do. It's development yeah. driven, um, so kind of completely conflicted in the end. Um, and then I just eventually. I just wanted a bit more security and a bit more of a kind of stability, kind yeah. of lifestyle-wise. So that's when I decided mm. to go back to university. So, yeah. so you, you both went back as mature students. Yeah. So, Paul, you did the museum studies. It was then. It was heritage. Heritage. It was oh, heritage. 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 heritage and interpretation. interpretation and education. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did that move forward for you? Did you start to have a sense of belonging then that you'd found something or you still kind of trying things? I knew then, I think, that I quite fancied the heritage sector. Um, volunteer, I was doing my volunteering at Beads World um, and it was like I just loved the stories. You know, yeah. that's when I realised that all museums do are tell stories. It's all storytelling, it's all, isn't it? And everybody yeah. loves a story. That's yeah. what it was about. Um, and then I thought, right, you know, I'll, I'll do this qualification. And I, this, this is where I think I want to be. In fact, no, I knew that then that this was where I wanted to be. What kind of place I wanted to work in wasn't defined. You know, like I wasn't 
a lot of people were going, oh, I really want to work at the British Museum. Oh, I really want to work for TWAM. I was still very open, but I knew, I prefer, I think I was being drawn towards the smaller, independent kind of heritage slash museums. Yeah. Making my own rules, <laughs> aye. Yeah. Now, now I'm working for the council, and it's like, well, 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 yeah, so, so that was it, really. And then it was like a big shock when I, that course was so intense and full on. And then I managed to get a full-time job in a school. So I was doing my place. I was working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. I had three small kids, oh, no, right? Working part-time at English Heritage, Tynemouth Priory. But then at least I was getting paid for mine. Yeah. And then I was doing a bit of Beads World. So this was, this was, for a couple of years, this was my life, which I really loved. In the winter, I was working for Virgin Hour Price, like as a Christ, over the Christmas, Christmas period. Thing, yeah. So that would go on until about March. And then in March, I would work for English Heritage as like yeah. a custodian. And then the following year, I was like working full time. So I had to drop the hour price. Um, but then I had to do the placement, which was uh, weekends at English Heritage. Did you do a swap though with your placement? No, I just stayed did there. It at I, it, I did it at Tynemouth. I was based at Tynemouth, but it was English Heritage, so I used to do stuff with um, a guy called David Wormsley. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so whenever there was a school holiday, I would like rack up my hours. They'd got some HLF <coughs> money for the Wagonways project. Yeah. North Tyneside had, and I just came into this role. And then when they found out they had somebody working in North Tyneside, with some heritage background, I was like nabbed for that yeah. Yeah. as well. Um, so is that the big... Um, oh, the wagonways stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. the information panels yeah, yeah, that go yeah. all the way along mm-hmm. the coast and, the, and then through to Seaton. It is, it was from the coast through um, Killingworth and, and all up that yeah. way. Is it Seaton Burn, Seaton Delaval? Seaton Delaval, yeah. yeah. And it was, um, and it, again, it was led by different schools, had different parts yeah. to do. So yeah. Churchill School was, um, they were doing the website and another school was doing the environmental bit. So it was ahead of its time, yeah. really, because it was being led by, by the schools. Yeah. But then there was oh, the politics and that was like, oh, get me out of here. Yeah. Like. So whilst you were doing those, those different mm-hmm. roles, were you still putting, was it toes in the water? Or was it, if, as soon as something comes along that, that will let yeah. me escape from our price? And, yeah, it was that. It was that, okay. so it you, was that definitely. You found a, a kind yeah. of home, if you like, yeah. even if you would. Was, it, was this about the, the lack of understanding about job titles? Because what, what you're describing is making your own job repeatedly in almost every <laughs> yeah. job that you've done. <laughs> so, so what, yeah, it might know, be called something, but... Yeah, <laughs> but, it, but it isn't like, you know, what you're, what you're talking about isn't, well, I want to be a learning officer or no. I want to be a keeper or I want no. to be a curator or a collections management officer. You're talking about something which incorporates outreach and learning, this storytelling thing, potentially yeah. interpretation, working with sites and collections. So at this stage, you're just ploughing your own... Furrow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I knew really I didn't want to be a curator. You know, I didn't want the collections and the tissue people. paper yeah. and the <laughs> monitoring and stuff like that. I knew I didn't want that. It was this... It w- I, was, I, w- I had become aware that heritage centres and museums had this 
vast amount of stuff and knowledge that people that could change people's lives. Yeah. It really can. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it was very much looking for the right role, really. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd worked in, I'd, I'd had a year in schools and I thought, I don't, I don't want to be there. I want, I'm glad I've done it because the money was brilliant, you know. Um, but I want to be back in Heritage. Um, I, want, I just want to be out. And then a job came up, I think, at Beads World for, was for the outreach officer. Was that role that you were working with the council on full time at that point? Or? No, that was full time. And you'd yeah. finished the MA by yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were kind of out, and you were fully yeah. in the sector then at that yeah. point. Yeah, it was, uh, yes, it was. And I just knew um, I loved the kids. I loved the outreach thing. I, I loved just be like a bit like Eleanor. The outsidey bit. Um, is that actually doing it? It's that the actually doing it. connecting people yeah, to stuff yeah. bit, isn't it? Uh-huh. What's interesting there is when you, you've both described history, you haven't talked about history as a kind of chronology, which for a lot of people, that's what history is. It's a kind of series of events that happen. You've both talked about a fascination with decision-making by individuals or experiences that individuals had that were impacted by you know, mm. other decisions elsewhere. So it's all about people. It's all people. It's all, it's all people. And for me, it's yeah. about the fact, and I think that was probably why archaeology was the thing, because that's about individual people yeah. leaving things behind, making things and yeah. leaving them. And it, it's that connection with those people who actually are making decisions on exactly the same basis that we're making decisions today. Well, how do I want my life to be? Yeah. What would make like, my life easier? what can I see from where I live? Is this where I want to bring my family up? Well, you know, you can be in an Anglo-Saxon um, hut mm. making a living as a farmer and you're still making the same decision as I am living in a house well, in town are, today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's that kind of connection. Yeah. So it's almost like the chronology of it doesn't matter. It's individual people through time and they're poor people, rich people, yeah. powerful people. They're still making decisions about their lives and that then impacts on the world and we can kind of connect to that and learn from that and work out who we are because of who they were I think yeah I know when I was at history uh, when I was at uni my third year was spent with Helen Berry um, on a study of English coffee houses and one of the first things that came up there was like the public sphere in the role of coffee houses in kind of rightly or wrongly discourse in um you know in print culture in in like trying to put like a um a balance everybody was supposed to be equal that went in there and everything and one of the things that we that you that came up from from the documents was the very first museum and it was don saltero's um um house of curious objects you know what i mean brilliant yeah and i and and it was like and what he was doing was bringing the world to the people. So, yeah. You know, this yeah. is a mermaid's tooth, you know, Bloody Mary's hair and everything. And, it, and, it, and I thought, they were doing it in the 18th century, then the public sphere and everything. And then I was just thinking, well, museums can be that. They yeah. can be this public sphere and are still, or centres like we're doing. And, you know, you can, like we work and we're very much grounded, but sometimes this airy fairy notion comes in <laughs> yeah. that they can I do believe that they are civic spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everywhere we've I've worked I've tried to create a civic space, whether it's been successful or not. <laughs> um, they have a role to play in all of this social justice 
kind of stuff just by people coming together. Yeah. It is um, about bringing people it together, is. It's isn't about it? bringing people together, people. connect. It's those connections. But that's that you uh, went back to study yes. again. So yeah, what... so I went a completely sideways move and then um, decided it wasn't quite the right thing. But I went to Nottingham University to do uh, an MSc in environmental management. Okay. So it was totally... That's quite a big... Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite a different sort of sideways move. Partly, um, I thought, now I need to get out of the kind of path that I'm on. And you know when you're, you're doing something, you get a bit stuck on it? Yeah. And yeah. kind of what like do you do? Wheel. Like a wheel, yeah. Um, so I looked at what other things I could do and at that point I was very much right I need something that's outside kind of environment conservation stuff might be the way to go but there was funding available for this environmental right. management MSC so they were driving it was there. totally yeah completely that was driving me the, the fees were paid and there was a bursary to live off and I was like that will be fine um, so we moved down to Nottingham I got married the weekend before the course started <laughs> so it was all a bit crazy um, and my husband had a, a job down there um, as well so we moved down there and I started on that that program um, and quite quickly realized actually environmental management is not for me this was I should have done more research about what this course was but they were paying for it so it was all right um, so I did it and I just kind of went for choosing all of the options that were about engagement and about communications um, rather than the kind of techie, sciencey um, kind of, you know, river monitoring or environmental <laughs> standards. Or, and it's interesting, all the people I met on that course that I'm in contact with do totally different jobs now to what I do. So I did that and um, that course didn't have a placement in it. Um, but as we came towards the end of the summer, I started looking for jobs in back in kind of heritage, but looking at natural or kind of built heritage type stuff, but with engagement at the heart of them. So I think I'd realised yeah. somewhere along the line, and I don't really know how, but I'd realised that thing about it's all about connecting people with the stories. It's something about what's the point of doing archaeology and finding out about the past if you're not actually going to tell it. anybody it. Yeah. Like, what's the point in doing it? Um, and I think the same with the kind of environmental and the conservation nature stuff that I'd done on my course. It was very much, well, we're never going to alter anything unless people understand and connect yeah. with the environment. Um, so I applied, and I was really lucky. I applied. The first job I applied for, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so partly, I think, because the wages well. were you so You talked yeah. about this in this I mean, yeah, uh, straight after university. Straight from charity. it. Yeah, I worked for English Heritage straight after university. But that was a good thing to have on the CV. Um, and I got a job at a heritage site, which um, was Cresswell Crags in Derbyshire, yeah, Derbyshire okay. and Nottinghamshire border. And at that point, there was a lot of funding floating around for that area. It's, it was ex-coal fields, quite deprived communities. And there's a visitor centre there. They've got um, a small kind of country park set up with caves with all the prehistoric remains from the Ice Age in. Um, and they went after somebody to be there. I think the job title was Principal Ranger. Right. So they had a very fixed staff team who'd been there a long time and were all very set in their ways. They had a lot of trainees who'd come from kind of um, long-term unemployment, kind of lack of education, lack of yeah. opportunity background. They did a lot of voluntary, lot of voluntary uh, creating opportunities. Creating opportunities stuff. And they just, they kind of, I think basically they'd done all of this and then they'd gone, hang on a minute, we haven't got anybody to manage or oversee the whole kind of thing. 
So they brought me in to do that, but they told all of these volunteers and all of this existing staff team that what they were getting was some basically great big burly man who could use a strimmer and who would know which trees to chop down. And then I turned up. (laughs) And they hadn't even said who I was, what my background was. I was significantly younger than most of them. It was quite a hard kind of tough paper round. Baptism of fire. Baptism of fire, yeah. yeah. But what was really good about that organisation, and I think it cemented for me what I wanted to do was that they, the kind of way it was set up was that everybody did everything. So we did have somebody who was responsible for the curatorial side of the collections, but their job title was Ranger. We did have somebody who was responsible for education and learning, but their job title was Ranger. Yeah. We had somebody who was responsible for the country park, but their job title was Ranger. And we were all expected to kind of cross over into each other's roles. And we were open seven days a week, so we had to do that. Um, And the volunteers and the placement people um, were also expected to do that. So in an average kind of day there, you could be using a strimmer in the morning and dressed up as a caveman to do storytelling with a group in the afternoon and leading a bat walk in the evening. And I could be doing that, or the staff that I was supposed to be managing could be delivering that, um, or the placement young people could be delivering that. Um, and it worked and it didn't work. It had pros and cons. It meant nobody was a specialist in anything. Um, it sometimes meant that people were asked to do things which really they weren't particularly capable of doing or didn't do the best job on. Right. So we kind of had to do a bit of changing and there was quite a lot of change in kind of, of culture in the time that I was there. Um, but it did give me a really good kind of, actually, I've done a little bit of everything and I've had to step up and do a little right. bit of everything. So that taught me a lot, I think. So a, a slightly side question here, um, which is probably quite timely to ask this. How important have job titles been to you in your careers? Are they things that are either limiting to you or do they help to add shape to the jobs that you're being asked to do? Well, it's, it's funny because... Um, you need a job title to apply for a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, actually... You know what I mean? But, you know, you're reading the job and you're going, yeah, I can do that, you know, I could do that. I've kind of liked to go for jobs that I could make my own. Um, so have vague titles so, or so, descriptions. Yeah, so the, before I came here, I had a job title which was... I mean, at Beadsworld, I progressed up the, up the ladder and when I left yeah. there, I was like assistant director. That just kind of happened... You know, and I would never have applied for a job like that. And then I had a job as a centre manager of a, of a new heritage centre on the Fish Quay. Um, but my job, that was just, it wasn't my title. You know what I mean? It yeah. just allowed me to apply for the job. But really what I was doing, as well as like kind of everything, cleaning toilets and managing the whole operations thing, it wasn't really... I was still doing the engagement. I was still, you know, managing the volunteers to do the engagement. Yeah. I was... That's where, I suppose, it's heart and head, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Doing the strategic stuff, but then... I never saw myself as a manager, apart from when I was getting torn off. But you see, and then now some people will say, well, you know, if you, if you had your own heritage site and you were managing that, and, like, look what you're doing now... To me, in my head, it's no, absolutely no different. Yeah. No different. And I'm lucky in one sense is that I chose to do. I actually chose to come and work at Hilton Castle yeah. on the new project. I chose to work with Eleanor. I chose to work with John. Um, 
And I think that's what, as you go through this sector, you become aware of there are people there that you would love to work with because with, you've got a great deal of respect for them or you, you hear about them. I mean, I took Eleanor to meet the team at Derby. Yeah, when, that was great. You know, yeah. because, you know, the Derby Museum yeah. team and what they're doing. Um, so, but I mean, you, that's, that comes with hindsight, really. Um, so job titles are that there's something on a form that you, that you apply for and you fill in the form to meet that criteria. Yeah. I don't know, though, because I would have said, my initial response would be like, oh, I've never been bothered. But actually, I think, yeah, I think the job descriptions that interest um, a bit. More, yeah, yeah. more of it, because I would say, after that job as a ranger, which was a bit of a random title, um, I did a bunch of jobs that were basically a title of a project followed by officer. Mm. So I did a Coconut Community Archaeology officer, Chief yeah. um, at Hills officer. I did a bunch of officer ones, um, and then I ended up, at, at, and they were all short-term contracts, so they were all two and a half years, three years. And then I ended up in an organisation where I started on a community and engagement officer job for a specific project. But when that project funding ran out, I stayed within that organisation and did a, I never really got a new job title, um, but I did very different roles. Yeah. So I guess I'd always, I'd probably gone, oh, if it's officer level, it's about the right thing. Is the money about the right mm. level? But then actually the thing that was, that would make me think I want to do that would be the job description yeah. rather than the... Yeah. And what I was always after was one that had loads of it's flexibility an in it, really. That's an interesting point, though, isn't it, about whether you see a job and you you map your own self-worth onto that if it's got the word, a particular yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And this, this yeah. is the first one I've done that's been manager, not yeah. officer, and I think... I wouldn't have felt ready for it until now, and that was, you know, because professionally of, and yeah. personally. And I've, you know, I've had little kids and didn't want to step up. And yeah. then I've kind of gone, no, I'm kind of ready for something yeah. new. And it was, I, I thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a go to but go past officer level. I, I don't know. know about the other, uh, the other officer jobs that you've done. But certainly, the Creswell uh, Craig's job. Were you looking at what was happening there and thinking? this is what needs to be done, or this is, we starting to Definitely, move into Definitely, I think I did probably, yeah, I was there about five or six years. I think I did five years there. And I think when I started, I kind of spent a year just going, what on earth? And then I was looking at, hang on a minute, yeah. this isn't if right. If I this was doing right. yeah, this, I, I need to change this. this. And the great thing there, and I think that was probably some, a lesson learned for me really early in my career that I've taken right the way through, is wanting, it's like Pearl just said, wanting to be working with the right people and in a team where you have autonomy. Yeah. So um, that was a small independent charity. My most recent job I did before this one was eight years in a small independent charity. And it's that, that smallness means that you can kind of go and say, actually, this isn't working. Can we do it differently? Yeah. Can we have a team meeting? Yeah. And talking to everybody and doing that and going, well, it's not, I can see it isn't working right and I've got some ideas, but actually, you know, maybe you're the cleaner, but actually you see how this works. Yeah. I need to talk to you about yeah. that. Yeah. And you're the director and I need to talk to you about it and kind of pulling that together. And I think, I mean, like Pearl's just said, we're now part of a city council. We're kind of a bit arm's length from the rest of the council, but we are within that sort of um, umbrella, umbrella. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably the thing I'm struggling the most with is, is thinking oh this isn't quite how I'd do yeah. it if yeah. I was in a little mm -hmm. little setup. Yeah. Um, yeah but I think when you work like Elna says in little independent charities you'd never have that safety net of no. an NPO yeah. or 
or you know that every year the council are going to give you 250 grand so at least you know your wages are paid yeah um we've always gone from well i've always gone from project to project or a big hls yeah. bid yeah been okay. very much more income switched on um you know if you if you do an event it does matter it really matters if you get all those people through because they're the people buying your cups of tea they generate the income and they buy your gift books and the kids buy the tat in the shop i wonder if just i was thinking about you know the whole kind of moving around and looking at the job descriptions and the uh, i wonder if it's different like both me and you have been in the northeast for a long time and I think I make decisions, like you said, you know, I choose, I yeah. chose to go to that project because mm-hmm. I knew who I'd be working with. And I think if you, I wonder if you move around the country a lot more for work, whether you make decisions in the same way, because up here, it's a small sector. You pretty much, if you've not worked with somebody in the past, you, you know somebody yeah, who yeah, has, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know them. Um, and that kind of colours your decision a little yeah. bit about, I, I know they're a good gang or they're on yeah, my wavelength. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like, oh, that's really yeah. good. Have you seen the job here? If you you know, you might see the perfect job somewhere else in the country yeah. and you wouldn't really know whether it was the perfect job or not because you wouldn't know who else was working on it. Yeah, it's a different way. I mean, what, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. I mean, it, well, Pearl, you talked about um, the different pressures that you've had, you know, about influenced your decision to take yeah. certain jobs at certain time. So you you mentioned that you were before you did the program you just got married yeah and then you know did you uh, were you feeling a different type of pressure at that point to, was there a kind of right sort yourself sort out sort myself out there was definitely yeah, a, yeah come on you've had some yeah living out of a suitcase party it was all great grow up yeah it had um, so was that in the back of your that, head or was that was, really forefront mm, or I think, know, was no, that your own pressure as well I think that was me it was me putting that pressure on it was knowing that you know I was in a relationship with somebody I wanted to be with and he didn't particularly want me disappearing for weeks on end and we yeah. kind of made a decision that we would be together yeah. so that was a bit of a, a pressure um, and then I think the other the other big decision point for me and that was a personal one was we decided to move back to the northeast so we've been down in Nottingham we both worked down there for a bit um my, so what pulled you and back that pulling us back here was I think partly I never settled down back down in the Midlands I was nearer to my family but other than that I didn't really settle um and pulling me back up here was just the kind of landscape and I guess through doing the archaeology I'd seen a lot of it and I yeah. got kind of connections to place okay. um, and the kind of quality of life I knew I could have a much nicer quality of life up here than I could mm. trapped in a city yeah. in the Midlands um, so that kind of pulled me back up it's really so. interesting that comes up everywhere they go yeah. away and they come back, come back. and it was yeah it was i'm married i want to be somewhere where i have children i know once i've got children i don't want to be moving around yeah. for me it was really important to stay in one place as a child and so i want to have my children and kind of give that to them and we decided together that the northeast was the place to do that so then it was a question and at that point it was a question of looking for jobs that were up here and my husband looking for jobs that were up here but because of what he was doing he was teaching at that point so he could kind of work anywhere yeah and our sort of work was a bit, my work was more specialist, so it was kind of looking for something up here for me really first and then yeah. him finding his job. So. And I came up to work, I worked for the Northumberland National Park. Um, out at Hexham, you based Hex- at Hexham. Well, I was actually based out at Rothbury. Right. Um, so, right. yeah, they're based at Hexham, but they have like a small office in Rothbury. Yeah. And it was project funded two and a half years on um, setting up and running a community archaeology project. So it was perfect because it was all that engagement stuff. It was all that connection stuff. But they wanted somebody with a background in landscape archaeology. So I'd got that from my 
previous, previous. work. So it starts, so all of those things start to come start together to come now. together, yeah. I guess the biggest difference for that one, though, was the shift in the communities. So I'd been working in all of this engagement with ex-coalfield communities, with young people, with needs for training um, oh, and education. Yeah. And I went up to Rothbury, which is, I would say, middle class, Very different ex-professional, retired, yeah. completely white, really interesting because the skills that they needed to make that project work were not at all the skills that I'd been working with people on before so I guess that learning and skills thing's always been through my career always everything I've done Um, but for them it was like well they were brilliant if they wanted to run an excavation they could they could fill the forms in and apply for the money and they'd got the language to do that and they'd got the networks to do that but they didn't actually know how to do the work on yeah. the ground. It was really practical teaching with them yeah. that I did. So, you know, this is how you do surveying. This is how you do excavation. So meanwhile, you're at Beads World. Yeah, Beads World. So you um, settled there. Settled there, working up. A bit like Ellen, Eleanor was taken on as a youth outreach officer because Beads World was the first museum that I know of that, um, and that was with Keith Merrin, yep. who applied for funding with the council to have somebody specifically to work with the underrepresented audience of 14 to 14 to 19 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and there were the disengaged kids. Um, and it was, they did something quite radical, which meant they opened up the museum on an evening to get young people familiar with the museum setting. Yeah. And then the plan was that they would eventually just come and just be comfortable in the museum, which it did. It actually won awards that. So, how long were you at Beads for before you moved? Oh God, to um, a long time. A long you? time, I from more or less two thousand. My first paid job was something like two thousand education officer, uh, two thousand and three to till, oh God, twenty twenty twelve. How did you move up? within Beads World from job to job I that just, you had? Was I it just, just the, your availability? Threatened, and... threatened. <laughs> yeah. They were frightened not to. Um, yeah, because I was, I didn't, I didn't box myself into a role. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think did that's not really, box yeah. myself into yeah. a role, um, which the education team there did. They were the learning team and, and that was what they did. And they had a, a set, um, set visit and they were so lucky because invaders and settlers were on the curriculum um, and then even if the curriculum changed uh, something else happened but I was always um, so if I was working with disaffected young people then I was looking to work with isolated older people as well and making that jump across yeah there's definitely something about not boxing yourself Uh, in definitely not boxing myself in if there was an event i'd do the car park yeah so they were you were showing yourself Mm -hmm. to be i would go front of house willing to expand your Mm skill set outside of the immediate job description or title that you had i would even work with um organizations out a bit like i would outsource myself you know what i mean oh yeah. yeah yeah definitely outsource myself and and some of the best um, experiences I did have was when we were when I was sent out on um, like little mini secondments. They didn't go, at, you know, because I thought, oh yeah, I'll have a secondment at the British Library. Yeah. I had a secondment at the council. Yeah. With the um, team that looks after all the officers, just to see how they worked and to bring that back into the organisation and share. Yeah. I think there's something if you can manage to get yourself into an organisation that's 
that is a, like a learning organisation yes. that values yeah. learning for its yeah. staff. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that was when I was at Cresswell, mm-hmm. that was what life was like. And partly it was the funding climate because there was a lot of funding to yeah. pay for us to learn stuff as staff team. Um, so, but also that was encouraged that if you sort of went, well, actually, I need to know how to do this. Can I get myself? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yeah, off yeah. you go, go yeah. and do it. Because before I knew where I was, um, you know, I was like... Um, going to meetings with service service level agreement yeah, meetings. Yeah. Uh, so strategic Strategic, me- yeah. yeah. And it almost happens by accident, by accident doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. How yeah. am I doing in this yeah. one? <laughs> and then somebody at the council knows who you are, so they say, oh, we've got this. You need to be you at this meeting. A, a liaison, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, I mean, I met Eleanor through something very similar through the North of England Civic Trust. Yeah. Um, because Eleanor was taken, I knew Eleanor anyway from the sector and we had a kind of a mutual friend, Susie Thomas. Yep. So you hear people's names. So it was Andy Harris, I'd come across yeah. Andy. Um, and then, oh yeah, we've got a new learning officer, it's Eleanor, you'll have to meet her. And then you meet her, go, oh, I've heard about you. And Eleanor was actually um, one of the advisors, weren't you? Andy? Yeah, so one I eventually ended up working for North of England Civic Trust. Initially, I was a community and engagement officer, but as that funding finished, and that project finished, I went into doing everything for yeah. them, all sorts, consultancy-based stuff. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was literally everything. It was writing conservation reports, doing building recording, doing engagement activities, the whole works. Um, but one of the projects I was doing was some consultancy to advise the old low light, which is a, at that point there was a kind of volunteer body, yeah. there was a building preservation trust involved and it was getting the building yeah. back yeah. into use as a heritage centre. So that's um, in North Shields. In yeah, North yeah. Shields. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I was advising them on was the recruitment of their, their staff and that's when kind of um, You've interviewed you, you, interview interview you twice. twice, yeah. So that was the first time I interviewed Pell. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, 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 that was the first time so I interviewed Pell. So you interviewed when, when you went for, 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 for the management yeah, job at the old light. Then I was looking for an education officer, the, you know, yeah. for the funding. It's, um, you know, this is what we need. And I was talking to Ellen and I said, oh, do you fancy coming and working with us? And she went, yeah. Um, and then, it, luckily, you didn't do that. No. And then something happened, and we used the funding for something else. And then, um, you know, Eleanor, Annie Wellner had a small family, and then we're saying, oh, have you seen this job's around? Do you fancy job sharing Yeah, we were saying if we could job share and We were saying if we could job yeah. share. Yeah. And we'd never worked together, but we, we put on an event together, a heritage skills event together, a big one. Um, and then you kind of know... Well, you know yourself who you can and can't yeah, work with. Yeah. And, and so we've crossed paths. And I think that's quite common in the sector, isn't it? That yeah. You, yeah. you keep crossing paths. It's, and it's a permanent job interview, yeah, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. And yeah, you're always... Exactly. Yeah, you're always... Everybody kind of, knows everybody. Yeah. You're always on shore. Um, you've got to be really careful. So by the time you, you got to, to apply in for the old lowlights, you, you've got all of this experience and you've you've kind of by default ended up with lots of management experience mm-hmm. because of the, the structures that were changing at Bede's World with the management changes yeah. and the funding changes. Was that a scary jump? Do you know what it was? It happened. It, it, it just happened because you take on more responsibility and then it's like, oh, can you do this? Or can you... I've always been touch wood. Very good at, a bit like Elna, funding bids. Right. Um, 
with your white gold if you could do that. Yeah, yeah. well, it's I crucial, think isn't yeah, it? it is. But I mean, this was in a time as well when there was lots of funding. People would come and say, hey, "Fill that in. Money. I've got yeah. ten thousand yeah. pounds. Can you just fill that do, in?" Do it, yeah. yeah. And the last thing I did at Beads World was um, when Beads World it was last ditch attempt. And we'd never had any funding from Heritage Lottery Fund since we were set up. So we were, apart from like projects, you know, yeah. a, a young roots or, or my salary or something like that. So we put in, a, a, wrote a funding bid with um, another member of staff then, Michelle McCallion, to um, re revigorate Beads World. And it was, and we did it without any stage one. We just thought, God, straight, straight in. in. Straight in. Gotta do it. Gotta yeah. do it. And we did it and it was successful. But because of that, I managed to pull in Newcastle University Archaeology Department, Durham University, the History Department here, um, lots of other people that had an interest. And I think... Yeah. Um, did you have the confidence all the way through that, or were you... I just knew I had to do it. You just had... Yeah. So did you... I believed did, in what I was doing. This is a cheeky doing. question. Did you surprise yourself at any point in that process? Were you like, I've done this, this is good? Or you... Oh, it's a great... Well, you know what's like? It's a great feeling yeah. when that... When it's a that... cheeky question, that, I'm aware. Yeah, no, nah, nah, I just thought... Because, you know, it's like what we've been talking about. It's because you believe in it. I yeah. actually believe, I believed in the site, I believed in the community. So you understood the detail enough to yeah. know that the decisions yeah. that you were making were valid. Yeah, and integrity as well. It's one of the, when I've got my sensible head on, which is yeah. very often, one of the things <laughs> I will bang on about is integrity. And Beads World had suffered from mission creep. And we went back to the core, value, the core values of the monastic site, which were learning, um, being entrepreneurial, um, uh, I can't remember what the four strands were, but they were like very current values, yeah. innovation. So we used, um, we were going virtual reality, which no other museum had done. Um, and, and like just keeping to those core values for the bid. And it was, I think we got it because it was, it was very much grassroots and it was very much training as well. Yeah. There was a lot of things in there that were ticking a lot of boxes. It wasn't like, oh, let's do this bit because it ticks that box. Yeah. It was an organic, an organic thing. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we'd like to make you assistant director. And I went, no, I don't want that. Because the British Museum had just got rid of theirs. And I knew, and I thought, nah, I don't want that. I don't well, want that. Well, the security that. issue mm -hmm. around the particular I, and, I, and I liked what I was doing because one of the first things they said was, yeah. mind you, when you become assistant director, you can't be outside playing with your bows and arrows. You know what I mean? But has that been quite important to you? Like, you know, again, the connection to audience there. Mm -hmm. So it, that's about scale. So right at the very beginning of this, you were talking about um, being attracted to smaller organisations where you had the ability to implement and be part of all of those activities on the ground. Yeah, all this money was doing was... Um, keeping keep, things, keep, keeping, keeping things, the train on the tracks. Keeping the train yeah. on the tracks, yeah. Okay. Um, but there is something, isn't there, about that... If you, if you imagine your career going upwards, you eventually stop doing the doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's yeah, the, and yeah, that's, that's the danger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Kind of, yeah. If you can find some yeah. way that you get, you get to be in the decision making yeah. and you get the control mm. over what you're doing day to day and how your work is, or your organisation mm. or your projects running, 
like we all want that, but we don't want to sacrifice too much of the actual. It's a, it's a fascinating there, dilemma that I think most people. Yeah. Really which is, difficult. Because yeah. you've, you, you, I think you develop a skill set away, or, or and you've got opinions about how things should be done, and you think, well, I, yeah. I should be doing this now. And then at the same time as that, then there's a tension, isn't it? Because with that comes inevitably more money, more responsibility, but it probably requires more of your life to do that. I was going to say less yeah. sleep. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you've got this ego thing that happens yeah, in the background, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is inevitably there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Look at me. I'm going to be in the front. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going and then it, it and stacks really... up with the money stuff yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. we were saying the other day, the danger when we open the castle, and it's going to be very, very volunteer run in terms of management and delivery mm -hmm. but there's a danger that me and pearl will end up being the most oh, expensive no. coffee makers <laughs> in the world you know and we shouldn't be doing that yeah. you've seen but that equally, equally, yeah, yeah. sitting in the coffee shop is one of the places where you actually get work done with the communities yeah. you work with yeah. so it's kind of you've got to just kind of balance that yeah. out somehow uh, it was uh, and then from there when the old law light opened it was like a natural progression like yeah. you say from being assistant then to managing. Yeah. So that's Something. the venue that that had it's got um, the potential for well a necessity for income generation. So it's got cafe on the ground floor, yeah. um, lots of space outside to do summer events, event, events mm -hmm. all through the year. But summer events it's perfect for that, isn't it? Exhibition space upstairs and potentially space for private hire as well. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got all of this stuff happening. Yeah. This is quite a complex. Picture. It is. Yeah. It is because. Oh, and it's like managing all these personalities and it's managing expectations. Yeah, so everyone has a different Exactly, so yeah. it opens as a community hub enterprise thing, which it is, um, but then it has to generate income, which it can do. Yeah. Um, it has a space for events, which it can host, but then when the events are being hosted, sometimes it's closed because yeah. it's, it's yeah. got a private it's function yeah. in, so there's... It's, I think there's all these different expectations and I think what we're all very good or not very good at doing, me included, is we don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. So how long were you at the old low light? Oh, God, so until uh, through three and a half years. Three and a half yeah. years. So I got yeah. it up, up and it was up just like up and running. And then um, hopefully, like, people know how to run it. Like, you know, this is it. You work with your community We're for an exhibition yeah. um, and all of that and then hopefully they'll just take it on and then there was Hilton Castle coming up and Eleanor said oh you know because come and have a new challenge yeah come have a new challenge because my job wasn't really factored in, was it? It was an additional No, one. there's been a lot of changes to the project structure. Um, we were originally in the project, the Wildlife Trust were already managing the site and they were going to provide the learning officer post right. and it all got kind of rejigged. Um, so we now have director, learning manager, learning officer and yeah. part-time volunteer coordinator. And I'm only part-time. I'm like a 0.75, not right, full-time. Okay. So. For me, it's like um, getting back... I don't really like this Facebook, getting back to the call phase. Yeah. So you can, for the past from being like assistant director at Beadsworth, manager of the old low light, I've been saying, oh, you know, it's community engagement, it's co-production, it's, it's this, it's outreach, it's in-reach. So I've been banging on about it, but I haven't actually been doing it. Yeah. So it's kind of, for me, I see this as a massive learning thing, I'm retraining. But to me, at the minute, it's about... Um, it's about job satisfaction. It's about working with a team I want to work with. Yeah. Um, it's about sleeping at night as well. 
I mean, that, I'd that been doing a lot uh, in my last job. Um, I'd ended up doing a lot of stuff where I was the only one working on a particular project at any time. So, you know, oh, this is, we've got this bit of work. You've got this many days you can spend on it. And it was all me. It wasn't me and yeah. anybody else. And I found that remarkably stressful. I hadn't really realised how stressful I'd find it. And partly it was the, the squeeze on time because there were never enough days yeah. allocated yeah. in terms of the project yeah. funding to do it. And I was totally on my own doing it. And the difference, I think, in my current role, and I was definitely looking for that when I was like, right, I'm going to move on. Need to start looking at what's out there was to do something that would be in a team. Yeah, being on your own. Yeah, being on your own. Yeah, feeling like I was on my own decisions. If you miss a deadline, it's entirely your fault. And not having someone to kind of bash the ideas about. Confidence in an idea Mm -hmm. is is enormously different. So if you're not quite sure on something and you say, what do you think to this? And they say, it's a terrible idea. Or why don't we tweak this a little bit? It's what you were saying before about bringing everybody together. Um, I think that when you're working on your own on those things, the stress that's related to those decisions multiplies kind of exponentially. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And at the last place, there was just me, and I was answerable to the trustees, which was fine. And it, it was kind of like, it was me, always me in the firing line. But that's the thing, that it's that's what means you don't sleep at yeah, night. Yeah, but it, it means you don't sleep at night. Yeah. I knew, I so knew how much money was in the bank. There's a, a yeah. balance and act between yeah. your own satisfaction yeah. and... What do you think are the big challenges that the sector faces more widely? Well, we're all going to see a lack of funding. Lack of funding. A shift, but I a think shift. there's a massive, massive shift, and I think some of us are better at it than others, but it's a shift away from a culture of finding funding to do what you want. And I think that's been there, and we've, we've seen, I think, in the last decade, it going from, yeah, there's loads of funding around, it's got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and more and more people trying to get the same bits of money. Mm. And I think there needs to be like a, and there will be a complete shift away from that about actually how do we generate income? How do we work out what it really costs to deliver these things Mm. in terms of money and time and resource? And how do we cover that? And I think we're not, we're going to get to the point where we can't just go, well, go and ask for the lottery for some more money. Yeah. What do you think that might look like? Are you, are you talking about... I think about we're going to have to commercialise. Yeah, professionalisation yeah, 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 of yeah, the sector. Yeah, it is. But yeah. I think the problem is we've got like a whole generation who've not had to do that at all. Right. Who've never thought, well, actually, I've really got to factor in everything that it cost me to put this event on. Not yeah. just the things that are the obvious ones. I've got to factor everything in. I mean, even we've talked about this a lot, but you know, we've got kind of peers who we know don't factor in their own staff time when they're delivering something. Yeah, you're like, well, yeah. actually, if you're if it costs you yeah. £300 for your time for the day, you need to put that into yeah. your figures. You yeah. can't forget it. It's, it's interesting because there's a kind of parity, I think, between what happened at the introduction of the HLF funding in the early 90s. And so lots of money for big capital projects. And then we had a deficit of, of skills at that management yeah, yeah. level uh, for venues that were either that big or being mm-hmm. refurbished in capital projects in that kind of sense. So you're talking about a similar kind of problem that we might face where, because we've had such healthy funding for yeah. between, well, the early 2000s through to 2008, somewhere around there, yeah. that we've, we've got to have this lack of skills, skills that we've got to... to yeah, well, yeah. I think, I mean, I... I I graduated late 90s and I've been basically funded by the lottery for the whole of my career and there'll be lots and lots of people who are you know my age now hitting those management jobs that kind of go oh I don't I don't know how how Mm -hmm. to think I think differently about it it's not the how to do it it's the thinking differently about it and I think I think actually another one 
that is facing us is there's been this whole shift, hasn't there, towards volunteers and yeah. volunteer delivery and volunteer running. And I totally go with that. I think it should be about your, your community and your audiences volunteering, but it's a, there's a change in how that's going to actually look as people are working longer. And at the minute, the sector massively relies on people coming and going, I'll do a day a week as a volunteer yeah. in the museum. We're not going to be doing that anymore. We need to look at how people volunteer, which I think we're doing at Hilton yeah. Castle, but we need to look at that really differently of what actually is volunteering. It doesn't have to be turning up and making the tea. It can be a whole bunch of other skills. Yeah. And it could be those commercialisation skills yeah. that we need to be pulling in from people. And it might be people who will do an hour on an evening for you or will come and do two days of training with your staff team yeah. because they run a company yeah. locally and can help you with business advice or but rather than kind of thinking you know we've got this I'll whole older volunteer population yeah. haven't we yeah. we're getting yeah. older and are going to be replaced shared identity it it is, for that yeah. venue that yeah. everybody it's what you said before about you know people kind of interpret things in quite different ways and I think that the difficulty when people give their time is sometimes that they say I give my time therefore mm. I want it to be mm-hmm. this or I interpret yeah. what your the work is as this or the purpose yeah. of the site so it's a massive So what, what advice would you would you give uh, somebody starting out in the sector? My younger self. Your younger self. Um, I would just say, like, just what we've said, don't box yourself in. Yeah. Take every opportunity you can. Um, do, you know, and it's not always about visiting other venues on your time off. It's about looking outside of the venue at, at where good practice is. Is it in Virgin Hour Price? How do they manage? Um, and it's always about, like, never stop learning. Yeah. Never, ever stop learning. And, uh, yeah, there's something about not worrying that you don't know what it is you're going to be doing next. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. just being open to it because I'm doing a job I didn't know existed. And I think if anybody had said to me when I was at university, oh, you could, you know, you... My son thinks that for a living, I poke around old buildings and then I wheel around on my office chair in between times. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> much what I do. It is, yeah. And if somebody had said to me, do you know what? You can actually yeah. make a living out of poking around yeah. old buildings and seeing bits of them that nobody else gets to see and yeah. showing them to people and telling them about people and igniting that interest and passion in them, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't believe that that was what that you could do. And yeah. if you saw the job title learning manager, you wouldn't think that that was what you spent yeah, your days doing. Yeah. So it's almost just going, yeah, like not boxing yourself in and being open mm. to, that might not be what I thought I was going to do with a postgraduate in museums, but actually it suits me, it suits my personality, it suits mm. my knowledge, it suits my skills, and yeah. it suits my, the life that I want. Is kind of the... And there's something nice about that. Like, you know, I've got lots of friends who do jobs that have very set pathways. Yeah, you know, you're a yeah. nurse and you follow yeah. it through. You're a teacher and you follow it through. Actually, if you... I don't even have a word for what I do. I and mean, you can say, well, I'm a heritage professional. Yeah, you could say, I'm a community yes. engagement person. Yeah. You do, it, it, the common thing is the castle, in this case. In this yeah, case, yeah. And yeah. The, the, what you do with that is yeah, exceptionally yeah. varied. And just being open to that and going, oh, yeah just there's an opportunity I'll give that a go if it doesn't work you just go sideways into something else don't you yeah it's you, you know that you're doing something um a bit out there when you know you fill in a form 
and the, like like an insurance form. There's you have a drop to box. There's not a box. box. So always, always, always have one, a yeah. roll where there's not a box. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. That's an amazing yeah, that's philosophy. A, yeah. I will always. I know I've done it wrong. If I dropped down, that's my job. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll go. Oh, what do you do? And I'll go. Oh, wait, uh, oh so yeah. what's that? Is it is it a teacher? No. Is it that? No. no. You know what I mean? And that's then in fantastic. the end, that yeah. is the best. The best. <laughs> I think that's a good place to. Thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck with the next stage with the castle. Thank, Thank you. you and you know where we are. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.